either the kids or staying upstairs. Well, good morning. You get the revised version of the sermon. First hour gets the original, and now you get the revised version. We'll see if it's any better or not. I don't know. I'm very honored to be able to be here and to get the opportunity to speak today. We're going to start, we're going to take a break from Revelation. I saw a few smiles. Uh, I won't tell Scott. Uh, we're going to do a two-week series on God's heart for the orphan. Leading up to next Sunday, which is, in a lot of churches, they celebrate Orphan Sunday, where they highlight the need for Christians to take care of those who are without parents for a variety of reasons. And we're going to start today by talking about darkness and exposing the darkness as we talk about God's heart for the orphan. Before I begin... I have to say that first service, I wasn't that nervous. I just had my wife in the audience. This service, I got my parents in the audience. Now I'm nervous. But I'm glad to have them here with us and uh, hope you get a chance to meet them today. We're going to start by reading Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 8, going through 17. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed in the light... It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, honesty time here. Who's afraid of the dark? Who's ever been afraid of the dark? Who's ever been afraid while it's dark? <laughs> Just about everybody, right? Darkness is scary. Things that we can be in a place we've been a hundred times, and if it's dark, it's different. All of a sudden, that thing that you know is there looks like something else. That sound you've heard before has you looking over your shoulder as to what is that? Because it's dark. Darkness is scary. What this passage tells us is one thing to be in the dark. It's another thing to be the dark itself. Did you catch the first line of the passage? For once you were darkness. It wasn't for once you were in the dark. You were darkness. That doesn't make me feel real good to be thought of as darkness. 
Because darkness is scary. Bad things happen in the dark. We stay away from places because they're dark. How many of you had parents that told you to make sure you were home before dark? Or in the house before dark? Why? Because the dark's scary. A lot of things can happen in the dark. We were darkness. But now, we're children of light. As children of light, we are reflecting the light of the Father. We're not producing any light of our own. We're reflectors. Now, some of you may not know what reflectors are, some of you young whippersnappers. When I was a kid, on bikes, on the spokes, they had these things called reflectors. You had one on the front of your bike and the back of your bike. Because you didn't have a light on your bike, but when you rode at night, some car's headlights would hit the light, and it would reflect the light back to say, hey, there's a person here. So either slow down or speed up to hit them, one of the two, whichever your choice was. We're reflectors. We take the light from God and we reflect it to the world around us. Now, as reflectors, the outcome of that is supposed to be the fruit of reflecting the Father's light is what's good, what's right, and what's true. Anything that's good, right, true comes from God. And we're to be reflecting that to the world around us. And our job as children of light is to please the Father. Doesn't it feel good when you're a kid and you please your father? You please your parent? You please that adult that you look up to and they say, hey, good job. Or when you're a parent, doesn't it make you proud when your child does something to honor you or to please you? That's task one as children of light. To honor the Father. To do what makes the Father proud. And the first step of that is make sure we're staying away from the fruitless deeds of the darkness. It says have nothing to do with them. Now just told what the fruit of the light is, the good, the right, the true, the deeds of darkness, they don't have any fruit. They don't produce anything good. It's just to stay away from them. And you know what? We do a pretty good job of that. Or at least we talk a good game about that. We have our list of things that we don't do, right? Our places we don't go. Our music we don't listen to. Our movies we don't watch. We all have a list somewhere. That's a good list to have. It's good to avoid sin or things that tempt us to sin. But this passage tells us that's not where it stops. It's not just enough to be a good person who doesn't do certain things and doesn't go certain places. It asks us to expose the darkness. Now, that's tough. That's scary to me. Because that means I have to interact with the darkness 
to expose it. I've got to have my light shining in that direction. I've got to be interacting over there. That can be scary. I would much rather, confession time here, I'd much rather live in my nice, safe, insulated life that doesn't have anything to do with that yucky, nasty darkness stuff. I'm happy there. That's my happy place. I don't watch the news. Can y'all believe that? I don't watch the news. You know why? There's not much good that comes on the news. I've got enough yuck in my life. I don't need anybody else's yuck. I'll listen to it some on the radio, but I don't get involved in that. Because I like to keep my life clean. It's not an option, according to Ephesians. Ephesians says you're to reflect God's light and stay away from the darkness and expose the darkness. That's challenging. Because in the darkness, Paul tells us shameful things are done in secret are a part of those deeds of the darkness. Those are things we don't talk about in mixed company. We don't talk about in church sometimes even. But they're out there. They happen. They're shameful. He wants us to do nothing with them and expose them. That's a challenge to expose them. The good news is, I don't have to do any exposing on my own of the darkness. I'm just reflecting God's light. Because remember, John 1 tells us, He is the light. He came down, and the world did not receive Him. 1 John tells us, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him, and His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He's the light, we're just the reflector. We've got to put ourselves in the position to be used to expose darkness. And over the next couple of weeks, starting today and then next week, Scott and I are going to talk about an area of darkness in our world. It's an area called orphans. Now, when I was growing up, the idea of an orphan was somebody whose parents had died. Both parents had died. That definition has been changed because... The world's not straight, clean-cut anymore. They now view it as any child who has lost a parent to death. So it could be one parent, could be both parents. And you think, why is that important? Well, a child who has lost their parent is at greater risk, especially in developing countries where the support systems may not be there. We'll get some more specifics on that here in a minute. And if you... If you'll bear with me for just a minute, I'm going to throw some facts at you. I like numbers. And these kind of jumped out at me. According to the latest count that I could find, worldwide, there are 140 million children who have lost one or both parents. 140. Let me put that in perspective for you. That's about half the population of the United States. About 20 million of those have lost both parents. Every 14 seconds in the world, a child loses a parent to AIDS. 
we don't think about AIDS in the States anymore because it's pretty much not as much of an issue. In developing countries, it's a big issue. In Asia, there are 86, over 86 million orphans. In sub-Saharan Africa, there's almost 44 million orphans. And in Latin America and the Caribbean, there's over 12 million orphans. In the Ukraine and in Russia, 10 to 15% of the children who leave orphanages when they're too old to stay anymore commit suicide. That's darkness, folks. And we as the church have a responsibility to do something about darkness. The problem is there's so much darkness in the world. Where do we choose? Where do we start? We're going to get to that. Orphans in the world, especially in developing countries, even those with one parent who is alive, are at risk of being exploited. In many countries in the world, slavery still exists. People who traffic children will come to a family and say, give me your son and I will educate him. And they take that child and work them to death and they never see that child again. Why would you make that choice? Because you're desperate because you have no income to care for your son. That's much more likely to happen in a female-headed household in an impoverished country than in a two-parent-headed household. See how losing one parent puts you at risk? In a country where your work is in the field and one spouse dies, one parent dies, who watches the kids while one's working in the field? As a result, children are put at risk. Slavery is alive and well in the world. The other thing that is very disturbing that we don't talk about is the sex trade. Children are recruited all the time. When I say children, I mean as young as five, six, and seven are recruited to become eventual prostitutes in other parts of the world. Others become involved in criminal activity. Through work at Holston Home, I get to go to the Philippines every two years because we have a relationship with them for international adoption. And one of the hard parts for me being over there, they have great orphanages. They're taking great care of kids. I get to tour all those. It, it feels good. But when you're driving around town, there's street kids everywhere. Nine, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. Then when you're stopped at a stop sign or a red light, they come and bang on the window with a flat palm and put their face right up in the window, begging. And you know, my impulse is starting to my pockets. My person who gives me direction while I'm over there, he says, don't do it because they don't get any of the money. If you look back a couple, about a half a block, there's a guy sitting over there watching them to see if they get any money and then he takes it. 
They don't get any. And what I've seen my friend do is roll the window down, put two coins in the kid's hand and say, one is for, and uses the name, the, the slang name of his handler, and one is for you. To try to give the kids something. Nine, ten, eleven years old. And they're there because they don't have parents to protect them. That's darkness. That's darkness. Let's bring this issue a little closer to home. In the U.S., there are 500,000 children in the foster care system. It's a large number. Of that 500,000, over 100,000 are currently available for adoption and are waiting for a home. I don't know if you guys saw the video or the story that's been making the rounds. I've seen it a couple of different times. In Florida... There's a boy who's 15, and he's been in foster care for a long time, and he was resistant to being adopted until his biological mother died. Once she died, he decided to get serious about being adopted. So they arranged for him to go to a church one Sunday, and he walked up front in that church, and he said, well, is there somebody here who will adopt me? Wow. That's bold. And the update to the story said several families have come forward to express interest in seeing if it's a possible match. But when we think of adoption, we tend to think of babies, little children. We don't think of a 15-year-old kid who's saying, I want a family. But that's what's out there. That's the reality. Somebody told me after first service, it was good but depressing. Yeah. This is reality. There's times when God wants us to be struggling with what the world is throwing at us. To balance it a little bit, I'll tell you a quick story. We have a young man who was at Holston Home. He came to us as an 11-year-old. His family had not protected him, had not done what they needed to do. And he came to our residential program at 11. That's young to come to our residential program. That means there was a lot going on. He completed that. His family hadn't gotten their stuff together. So he went to a foster home in Morristown. And Mr. and Ms. Jones took William, and did an amazing job. Now William is an eighth grader. He runs cross-country. He makes good grades. And this summer, he became William Jones. Let's see if I can do this here. <clears throat> And uh, I had one of my staff go and take pictures at the signing of the adoption. There's this great picture because Mr. Jones, I would say, is in his mid-60s. And Mr. Jones' shoe was untied. 
And there's a picture of William on his knees tying his father's shoe. It just struck me that here's a family from what wasn't a family. The Joneses had no intention of adopting when they started fostering. But once you built that relationship, they didn't have a choice. It's, uh, there's good stuff that happens to kids. But there's a lot of bad that we've got to deal with to get to the good. In Tennessee, I can't remember if I've said this or not already, there are over 9,000 children in foster care in Tennessee. 1,000 of those 9,000 are available for adoption right now. But again, they're older children, they're sibling groups, they're children with medical or behavioral issues. Sometimes all those combined. In the last five years in Tennessee, over 1,600 children have come into care of the Department of Children's Services because their parents are either manufacturing or using methamphetamine. You hear on the news about all the efforts they're trying to make to limit access to the things that make methamphetamine, which inconvenience all of us. We have to get different decongestants. We have to get prescription for decongestants. There's a reason for it right there. 1,600 children have been directly impacted by that drug through their parents. That's darkness. It's flat darkness. Children whose families are in such crisis that they become involved in the child welfare system in the United States are more likely to use drugs, to parent children at a young age, to become homeless, to not graduate high school, and to have their own children placed in foster care. We're going to stop the cycle. Part of the reason I'm passionate about this is I've got to see some of this firsthand. When I was knee-high to a grasshopper, as we say in Alabama, my dad was a preacher. And there was a member of his congregation that was going through a tough time. And my mom and dad became foster parents for that family. And we had a little girl come live with us named Hope. She was about 15 months a year, 15 months, something like that. And mom tells sweet stories about me and my brother Chuck as we had Hope in the home because I would have been about three at the time, two and a half, three. And I had a blanket. I was a blanket kid. I was Linus, you know, from Snoopy. She tells us that Chuck and I would put Hope on the blanket and drag her with us from room to room. Oh, isn't that sweet? You'll look at me differently from now on, right? And when it came time for Hope to go home, she says, we hid Hope under the blanket because we didn't want her to leave. But she went home. My senior year in high school, we found out that Hope was back in foster care. And let me tell you, 15-month-old Hope and 15-year-old Hope are two very different animals. We weren't prepared for a 15-year-old girl who'd come from a really hard life. 
She stayed with us for six months, went to live with a relative for six months, and came back for another six months. Every time she left, it was tense when she left. When she was in her early 20s, she knocked on my parents' door one day and said, the biggest mistake I ever made was leaving your home. But I'll tell you this. Hope and I reconnected on Facebook a couple of years ago. And if you go to Hope's page and you look at her list of friends, she has me listed as brother. I'm proud of that. My parents' 50th wedding anniversary is going to be in November. We're having a little shindig for them. Hope and her family are going to be invited to come. And I think she'll be there. Because she's family. And I tell you this to say this. All that started because there was a family in a church that was struggling. And another family in the church said, let's, make, let's take care of this. Let's make a difference. That would be a real radical way to shed some light and some darkness. If we became a church that was open enough to struggling people, and we had struggling people here, and then if somebody was struggling and was about to lose their kids, if we had somebody here in the church to keep the kids a part of a church family. Because here's the, here's the reality. If I were to ask you the most important things in your life that you would hold on to without anything, I can almost bet you the last two things you'd hold on to are church and family, or faith and family. Those are the things you'd hold on to tighter than anything else. When a child comes into foster care, they lose everything. And we have to, or we should, be light in that situation of darkness. I've thrown a lot of numbers at you, told you some stories. I want to show a quick two-minute video that uh, brings some of this to a global perspective, back to a global perspective. So if we can show that video now.
let me make sure I say something real clearly. What I'm emphasizing today is the call for us to care for orphans. I'm not saying every one of us should become a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Because I don't believe God calls everybody to do that. I firmly believe, though, that when God says pure religion is caring for the widows and the fatherless, it's important to Him. And if it's important to our Father, it should be important to us. If you are considering fostering or adopting, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. we got enough families in here you can talk to and get a bazillion different ideas. I know of at least four families here who have fostered or adopted. There's probably more than that. It's great that we have a church who does that. But part of orphan care is beyond just fostering or adopting. It may be choosing an orphanage to support somewhere to make sure kids are not on the streets. It may be supporting a family to make sure they have the resources they need to be able to do what God's calling them to do. There's a lot of different ways that it can look. But we need to make sure we are being responsive to the call of exposing that darkness and showing light there. The question is, how can we as a church and you as a Christian shine light to those who are hurting? And there's no one right answer. And it's not easy work. It's dirty work. Now, I do a lot of talks sometimes where I'm recruiting foster and adoptive parents. And anytime you're recruiting, the temptation is to put a real positive, pretty spin on it. And we've romanticized the idea sometimes of foster care or adoption. But let me be honest with you. Without suffering, there is no adoption. It's required. It's a, it's a necessary ingredient. If you don't believe me, talk to a mother who's made the decision to place her child for adoption. That's suffering. Talk to a family who endured years of infertility. That's suffering. Talk to a family who decided to adopt and then had an up-and-down roller coaster ride as all the paperwork and the legal stuff. That's suffering. Ask a child who waited for years for a family to come along. That's suffering. Adoption is a necessary... Suffering is a necessary ingredient of adoption. And yet that really shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Because every one of us who's a believer in Christ has been adopted. You know what was required for that adoption to take place? Suffering. If Christ doesn't come and live and die for us, we can't be adopted. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. It should be hopeful to us, though, that out of suffering, out of darkness, can come hope.
Last thing I'm going to leave you with today is a story of a town in Norway. It's built, the city was built around this mountain range, or the, inside a mountain range, and for five months of the year, they get no direct sunlight. Now, unless you've lived in Alaska, you probably don't experience a lack of sunlight like that. I don't think I would do well not seeing the sun directly for five months. It's from October to February, they don't see the sun. They get light, residual light, but they never see the sun. It doesn't cross over them. It's blocked by the mountains. And guess what's happening? Everybody's moving away. It's about 3,500 person town, and all the young people leave. This is a depressing place to live. There's no light. They are spending $800,000 to clear off the side of a mountain and installing a mirror on the side of the mountain that's computerized, that tracks the movement of the sun and will reflect a 6,300 square foot space of sunlight into the middle of the town square. Because light's important. You need light. It's hard to live in darkness. We're very fortunate that we have light that reflects through us, through the darkness that's all around us. Let's pray.